I'm Jason Voss, Content Director for CFA Institute. Michelle Wooker is joining us. Michelle, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, well I'm an author of three books. The latest is The Gray Rhino, How to Recognize and Act on the Obvious Dangers We Ignore. It's about the big, scary things coming at you that you don't always deal with as well as you'd like to think you do. Sure, sure. Yeah. Anything else you want to say? I know you have an illustrious bio. Um, that we have time. Well, you know, I started out as a financial journalist and then was a, a, a leader in think tanks for a while. And uh, about two years ago, I switched to focus all my energies on the Gray Rhino. Uh, I founded Gray Rhino and Company, a strategy and advisory firm, right. helping leaders to strategize how to deal with some of the Gray Rhinos in the world, whether it's the big geopolitical level, whether it's corporate strategy, and surprisingly, many of the personal habits that spill over into the leadership decisions you make in your company and in the policy world. Okay, so for my first question I wanted to ask you, so what's going on with the 20th century's major institutions of capitalism and democracy? Um, are their struggles self-inflicted or is there something else going on? Well, I think we've got a struggle between uh, the 1% wanting a bigger slice of a smaller pie, right. and what we really need to be moving towards is for them to be having a fairer share of a much bigger slice of the pie, a much broader-based capitalism, where the, you know, the bottom, the middle, and even the upper middle start regaining some of the, some of the ground that they've lost over the past 20 years, right. when the bulk of the wealth has gone to a very, very small sliver of the population, and that's what's creating a lot of the instability that we're seeing. So is it your opinion that these institutions uh, will adapt to these shocks that they're experiencing, or do you think that there are other means of uh, collective action forming? You know, for example, we have heard quite a lot yesterday um, about the sharing economy and the disintermediation even of governmental regulation, for example. Well, certainly in the business world, you're seeing huge changes. You're seeing this concept of shared value, of uh, triple bottom line. You're seeing a lot of social entrepreneurs. You're certainly seeing a surge among millennials of the desire for purpose in their careers and also in the companies that they that they work with. And so I think you're going to start seeing some changes there. And, you know, what does ADAPT mean? I think we're going to see some scars. Right. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right. Um, I think we are going to see some changes uh, some big changes, and there's going to be a lot of healing that's going to have to happen. So you mentioned scars. I wonder if you could flesh out that comment a little bit. That was kind of an interesting analogy. Well, I think you're seeing right now a, a, a real division within America. I moved back to the Midwest from New York uh, about three years ago and have seen such a divide between that part of the country and the coasts and people saying, oh, we're in middle America, we're the real Americans, and my friends on the coast going, no, no wait a minute, we're, we're real right. Americans too. And I think finding that middle ground is is very, very important. But sometimes remembering the problems that people have is a way for them to focus better on what brings them back together. Yeah, so it almost sounds like you're describing what I'm guessing is a gray rhino. Is that right? Absolutely. Well, you, you look at the, at the political changes, you look at all these tensions, and it's hard to figure out what exactly the what exactly the gray rhino is? What's right. the root of the problems? There is a, there's a debate over, is it people feeling left behind economically? Is it, you know, racial tensions? As if it's an either-or thing. And sure, I sure. think they, they weave in together. So really you need to go back along the chain of causation and find some of the root causes for why people are upset. And, and race is actually, a, it's, 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 a, it's a mask for other problems that people are having. Interesting, interesting comment. So going back to the capitalism uh, bit, so in 
Capitalism, of course, capital is held as preeminent, scarce, to be precious, to be preserved. Um, it seems to me, with quantitative easing and all the other actions by central banks around the world, it seems like capital is pretty much, we're flush and awash with capital. Um, is it maybe time for labor and its preciousness to be restored? It's an interesting confluence of too much capital, but also labor is increasingly, it seems like, getting short shrift. Capital can move around the world freely. But labor cannot. I can't sell my labor just anywhere. I mean, I wonder if you could talk about that. I mean, it seems like that's an interesting tension it's as well. It's a very important question. And, you know, I've done a lot of work on migration over my career and the, the economics of migration. Uh, we need to focus more on this term human capital. Right. Because that's, that's so important to where the world is going. And it's going to be increasingly important in a world of automation where the question is really what's the value of being human. And I think we're going to see some things where the cost of production goes way down because of automation. And things that only humans can do are going to increase right. in value. And so we need to rethink this whole question of capital and, and focus more on the human side of capital. And yes, I think that, that human capital should be much more mobile than it's allowed to be. And we're making the mistake so many countries are going backwards the wrong direction right, right now. So. Talk to us about some of those things This is uh, that only humans can do. This is a particular interest of mine. I commented on it frequently in my own writing. Um, what are some of the things that only human beings can do? Well, I think in, in healthcare, things that require the human touch right, that sure. you know, a machine just absolutely can't do. Uh, I think uh, there's creativity. And, of course, we're now seeing machines doing their own art, right, quote-unquote, yes. um, which is quite, quite interesting. Um, but, but really, you know, there, there, are, there are ways of conceiving strategy that only humans can do. And I think just, just interaction, I mean, a conversation like this, I mean, we can have a conversation with, with Siri, you know, right, yes. you, you know it's, it's, it's nowhere sort near of, the name. Kind of, yes. and you, you kind of, you know, laugh afterwards. And of, of course, those conversations are going to get a lot better. Um, but, but robots, uh, you know, robots are always going to be constrained on a certain level, no, no matter how much they approximate uh, humans in some areas. But I, I think it's a bigger conversation that uh, not just one person or a few people can answer. I think it's a conversation the whole world needs to be involved in. And we need to hear how people define their own value and listen to that and adapt our systems to be sure that that's recognized. So much of what you just said is interesting. Um, I, I almost you know, wish we had an hour to, to sort of talk about some of these issues. But I want to highlight a couple of things. Um, I serve on the board of a technology company that specializes in artificial intelligence and sifting information out of big data. And they've been doing it for over 35 years. And previous big contractor was the, the government and the U.S. intelligence community. And their CEO, who's been in this space for three decades, says that human beings and their capability of contextualization in particular is extremely powerful in the creativity and that unlikely that machines will ever advance. So that's the first thing I wanted to say that your, your comments inspired. The second is um, this, this notion of uh, uh, the creativity and how absolutely essential that is. When uh, machines invent machines that are more spectacular or uh, match our intelligence, this moment in history um, strikes me as uh, a break. And the break is sort of like, what does it mean to be human? We're interconnected in a particular way. 
Um, and so many of those institutions that we began this conversation with are being disintermediated whether they like it or not. And it's almost like capitalism and democracy have an uneasy understanding of one another. Very I mean, do you have any so. comments about how that looks going forward? Very much so. And there's, there's this tension between people who want more of a voice, and I think social media has empowered a lot of people to feel that they have a voice, but the way it's been expressed has, in many cases, been incredibly negative. Right. And I think we've got a long way to go to learn to embrace that individuality and voice much more positively. Um, I've just come back from China, where The Grey Rhino is a huge bestseller. That's and nice to hear. It's, it's, a, it's really amazing. Very, very big in China. It just came out in February, yeah. and uh, it's already sold 40,000 copies. Congratulations. Thank you. For a business book, that's huge. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And so I spoke at a festival called MTA for Music, Technology, and Art. Lots of sharing economy, people there, uh, lots of investors. But this, t- this connection between the new technologies and explicitly music and art, I think speaks directly to this need to approach all of them and, and that there is a mix and then we need to be creative in how we're going to use technology and how we're going to apply it to our lives. Uh, you know, I had dinner with a friend in Beijing. She came to the dinner riding a, a an OFO, one of the yellow sharing economy right. bikes, and uh, she ordered me a Didi, China's Uber, to, to bring me back home. So the, sh- the sharing economy is becoming very, very big there. And I think the, the environmental impact of the sharing economy is going to be very powerful powerful, and we could talk for a whole other hour on how we're going to change the way we use resources in the new world, because that's going to be a lot more efficient. Yeah, funny you should say so. Uh, in my opening remarks today for our, our coverage, I had said that stranded assets are probably not going to be a problem to the degree that they are now. As you know, the demographic picture is that the population is going to decline, and one of the concerns is we, we may have too many hospitals, we may have too many roads, we may have too many schools, but with the sharing economy, you can ensure through just communicating, hey, we have a road available, even, right? Right? Like, there's a traffic jam. We have this old highway that's still great. Why not route yourself there? I mean, 20, 25 years from now, why not? Absolutely. And I- ideally, we won't need as many cars or we won't need to increase right. as much the great number point. of cars, yeah. which is so important to traffic. I mean, traffic, is it sounds mundane, but it actually really is a big gray rhino. You look at the... the millions and millions of hours lost. You look at the, the pollution from all the, the cars that are just yes. idling. And, and that's going to be a huge change. And that's going to change how car companies think about themselves. You know, you know Ford has just made a, a very big investment in trying to figure out where that's going, thinking about you know, platforms for cars, how to, how to work the sharing platform, how to rethink how we're transporting people. Even, even public transportation, I just heard about a town in Canada that instead of investing in typical infrastructure, has basically contracted with the, the Uber drivers right. in the city. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so my final question, um, another confluence is this moment uh, of the artificial intelligence meeting the natural intelligence. And you touched on it a little bit briefly, but they're also pioneering work being done in the neuroscience level to better understand the human mind and how we think. Do you ever spend time in that space, like exploring, like, wow, look at the human capabilities, and I think there, there could be a possibility for that AI enhancing NI, if you will. Very much so. In fact, the Gray Rhino talks a lot about the, the unconscious processes that get in the way of us seeing the big, obvious, scary thing. Right, coming yes. at us, yeah, yeah. and how you can strategize approaches to that. And then certainly in finance, there are there's so many applications for, for letting the robots help us 
get out of our own way. Right, and do what we do best, right? Exactly. And then again, the, the, the human element of it, you know, I think sometimes getting over those internal obstacles to, I don't know what to do with my 401k or, you know, retirement, nobody wants to think about retirement and what comes after that. Uh, you can really focus the human energies on helping people to get over those those obstacles sure. and let the machines do all the, the, the busy work. So I guess I, I, I lied. I have a, another question to follow on. It almost sounds like you're very hopeful about the future. I know many people have quite a lot of anxiety and I know you wrote The Gray Rhino, but I, I can tell in the positivity in your answers that you, you think it'll all work out. You know, somehow the two will humans versus machines or machines will be and machines as opposed to or machines. Well, it's not a given. Nothing's yeah. a given. And, yeah. and that's really the point of the gray rhino. You see this big thing coming at you and you can get out of the way. You can get squished. Yeah. Or you can harness the power of it. And when you see it early, you've got the power to do something about it that, that others don't. And so I think the earlier you recognize something, the better off you're going to be against your competitors and even against the rhino itself. Right. And I think if you don't have optimism, what's the point? Right, sure. You've got to have optimism to get through even the toughest thing things as long as you're realistic about it. And, and you know, you don't want to be Pollyannish or rose-colored glasses. Right, right. You know, submit to the, to the optimism bias. Um, but you've also got to have belief that you can do something because another one of the reasons that people don't do what they need to do is they don't believe they have any power to do it. And we've got to get over that. So I point out for the audience that Michelle has on rose-colored frames. Um, <laughs> Michelle, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a very lovely conversation. I wish that the industry, meaning finance, talked about these things more frequently. Thanks. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Copyright 2017, CFA Institute, all rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.